You're listening to Make Your Way, Season 6, Episode 4. Welcome to Make Your Way, where we explore what it means to work and create on your own terms. Along with every episode, we post links to resources mentioned in the episode, along with a full transcript. You can find these materials at drkatylinder.com backslash MYW. Hey, Sarah, how are you? I'm doing well, Katie. How are you? I am doing really well, and I am super excited to continue our interview series with people who are just getting started in their businesses, um, even though they may have been doing this kind of work for quite some time. And that is true of our guest today, Mary Churchill. I am so excited that you are joining us on the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I'm wondering if you can start by telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what your business is. Who I am. I feel like that's what we've been exploring all year together, Katie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just talk about my business first. Um, I've worked in higher ed since 89. And in 1989, I started out in a financial aid office. And I've done all kinds of things since then. I've been a dean of graduate studies. I've been a vice president of ACT for academic affairs. And today, I'm associate dean at Wheelock College at BU, Boston University, which is the newest college at BU, and formed when we led Wheelock College into Boston University in a merger in the last couple of years. So um, I was the vice president for academic affairs at Wheelock and helped lead that merger. So that's kind of where I am right now professionally. The business is consulting, uh, strategy, usually consulting, and I have been hired ad hoc as a consultant since probably the mid-90s. I started doing some consulting work. Until this point, it's just been people seeking me out, Um, and it's been ad hoc. I do it more when I'm not working full-time. I took some time off when I had a child. He is now 14, and um, when he was four, And when he was first born, I was not employed full-time and did more consulting then. So it's everything. It's like, we need to reorg. What do you think? Uh, We need to make money. Where can we make money? Uh, We need to cut our costs. Where can we cut our our expenses? So in the making money category, it's usually online, international, professional masters, trying to read maybe... uh, increase enrollments where they already have enrollments. It's rethinking academic programs. It's also saving money by how do we keep our students here? How do we um, graduate more students? So all, all that, but it's almost always, what's the strategy for increasing revenue? Because so many institutions are really suffering right now, especially in that category. So. So that's, did I answer it? Now, who am I? Was that the other part of that? (laughs) Yeah, who are you and what is your business? I think you answered it pretty well. Okay, I'm like, who am I? That's such a big philosophical question. Yes, it is. We're we're not promoting existential crises here. It's okay. (laughs) Not today. Not today. Not today. (laughs) Not right now. So Mary, because you've been doing this for such a long time and you are clearly experienced in terms of the range of things that you've done, the number of clients you've worked with, What led you to join Slow Hustle this year when you were kind of thinking, okay, maybe, you know, well, let me back up and say, what were you thinking when you wanted to join, when you wanted to join Slow Hustle and you thought it could add something to your business? Well, so I have for many years wanted to make my side hustle consulting more official, uh, make it an LLC and 
I have been blogging for Inside Higher Ed since 2010. And Inside Higher Ed, unlike some other places, they actually pay their bloggers. So I've been getting that side income for almost 10 years. And it's, you know, it's, it, I can do my taxes, it's fine, but it's always felt strange to have it in the same bucket as my personal income. Um, and whenever I'm hired as a consultant, you know, I have to make up my own, own invoices and create numbers and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of cheesy and it felt not as uh, um, professional as it could have been. And then, and that's been fine when it's been small higher ed institutions or local nonprofits or a school district, you know, everyone understands. But this year I was hired by um, Harvard Business Publishing to do some consulting. And when I was making up my own invoices, I was like, oh man, I, I got to step this up. I got to I got to figure out how to do this, and, and this is the year I really have to take this to a much more professional level. Um, and I'm still not at the point where I'm seeking out new business actively, but I do feel like I have a much more professional approach to just invoicing a client than I did a year ago, which feels really good. So, so the, I think the Harvard Business piece is really when I was presenting at the Harvard Business School to the entire uh, um, uh, sales team for Harvard Business Publishing. I'm like, I felt really professional then. It was a great space. It's amazing. But I, I was like, I just, I don't have business cards. I don't have a name. So, so that, I think that really kicked me into high gear. So. It's always interesting, interesting to me to hear those stories of like when in this period of work that you kind of get that kick in the pants of like, oh, I need to do this a little bit differently. <laughs> um, I'm curious, can you share a little bit about some of those early on experiences of consulting and writing? Were those things that sort of, you know, just sort of appeared to you or opportunities that presented themselves or have you kind of been looking for um, other kinds of side gig work for uh, for a long time before that? I'm always curious whether people are seeking it out or whether it's sort of opportunities that present themselves. I think that, uh, so I, it's not been seeking them out. It's been, I have, uh, and Katie knows this well, I, I have a very extroverted personality. And I think as I get older, it, I'm a big E, huge E. And um, networking is something that I love and comes easily. And I'm also very open and flexible. So I know a lot of people and I hardly ever say no. And if I, if I don't wanna take the opportunity, I always say, oh, I know 10 people who would take that opportunity. So I'm still not saying no. So they can always come to me and I'll do it, or I can hook them up with someone else who'd be interested in that opportunity. So I think the more you say yes, either for yourself or someone else, the more you become the go-to person when they have a problem or a challenge or they've got a project that they wanna outsource. Um, so I, I feel like all of my mentors and sponsors in higher ed from the very early on have been kind of like my agents, right? Like they've been out there hustling and getting me work. And when they have so much work and they're like big extroverts too, and they, they have that situation where like they have 10 requests that they can't meet. So then they're like, oh, but I know this person, Mary, she, she almost always says yes to everything. So I'll, the, the job I reject will go to her. So that's how it was in the early days when I was a grad student, uh, professors who couldn't handle the work because it was too much or didn't want it would pass it off to me. So 
and then I became known as that person who always said yes. And so then it grew and it, the jobs got much bigger too. It went from like, you know, creating a annotated bibliography for a grant application to reorganizing a multi-million dollar unit, right? So, yeah, big. So I always love to tell the story about you, Mary, not that I tell it frequently, but when I think about you as such a strong networker, you and I met years ago when I was in the Boston area. We were both on a board together for a women's organization, and it's been four plus years since I've lived there. You and I are still friends on Fitbit and have stayed connected that whole time by doing Fitbit challenges of, you know, like weekly challenges with you and a bunch of other women who I don't know. Um, and then about a year ago, we kind of reconnected around Slow Hustle. But I feel like you are the queen of keeping relationships warm of like not, you know, and not in a way that seems really difficult, but just, you know, making sure that you're kind of staying in touch with people. I'm wondering if you have any tips about that, especially because some of the people listening may be more introverted. I am certainly introverted. Networking doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. Um, but I feel like this is something that it does come very naturally to you. You're very good at it. What are some of the things that you do to stay connected to people to keep those networks warm? Well, I think part of it is also I'm the oldest of four. So that, that helps, right? I kind of had to have that role in my family. And so it's been with me all along. Um, I try really, really hard not to burn bridges, right? So I go into um, every relationship with that attitude. And if I feel like something is, is going south in a relationship, I pull back, right? Because I really don't want to end a relationship. And there are very few that I've had to walk away from um, and learned from each time. So, so that's another, I'm very cautious and I, I take it seriously and, and I think it can be fragile. So, um, so that's important to me. Um, I try to always offer something. So I will connect people to other people and I will connect people to resources. So I feel like I have a lot of information to offer my, in my, from my own personal experience, but also if I don't have an answer, I usually know where to go for an answer. Um, and I always tell the story that my husband's a librarian and I think I'm the one that talked him into going to library school <laughs> because I, I love libraries, I love librarians, I love resources. So I think that people come back to me for that as well. Like, I don't know the answer to X, Y, Z. If I ask Mary, she'll know where the answer is. When I was a freshman, I think I memorized the handbook for Michigan State, and nothing was online at the time. It was 1984, so it was a thick handbook, and I read it cover to cover. <laughs> so everyone in my dorm was like, well, Mary will know the answer. <laughs> so that's, being a resource has always been really important to me. Very cool. Uh, I'm wondering what's been the most surprising thing uh, since you've started this business enterprise, the slow hustle on the side, what, what's been the, the thing that you have just been surprised by or kind of shocked by um, in this process of starting a business? I would say for me, I always approach things as a problem that needs to be solved. That's kind of how I approach the world. And um, so kind of strategic and tactical at the same time, right? Like, okay, what do I need to put into place to fix this? And I think Katie's done an amazing job of 
walking me through the emotional or spiritual journey that is necessary when you're really doing this deep dive of what do you stand for? What are your values? What is this business? What makes it different? And, and what do you bring to it? And that was very surprising. It's been awesome, but it's not anything I would have predicted a year ago. This, and it's, it's been a, it's an ongoing journey. I'm doing the finding your why and thinking bigger right now. I'm in the middle of that. So that piece is really, really rewarding, really deep. And, um, the most, the biggest surprise by far. Very cool. Are you willing to share at all about some of the things that you're discovering about yourself or things that, that are coming up for you as you're doing the find your why journey? I don't know if I'm there yet. So it's not that I'm oh, okay. to share. It's uh, Katie and I just talked about this. What a week ago, Katie. <laughs> right? Yeah, it wasn't long ago. <laughs> building that framework. Right. And so I think I will say the finding your why finding your five to six really amazing stories from your childhood and under 18 has been a fantastic process of really doing that deep dive and looking at those themes. And it's been enlightening. I do think what I just mentioned around um, connecting people to resources, I see that again and again, I have found that knowledge and information was a, a, a path to a larger world for me. And I think it's been very important for me to connect other people to the world's bigger than you think it is. There are solutions out there. Don't give up hope. Don't, don't have despair. There, there are things there that can can take you to another place. So that has been an important So as you have progressed, Mary, and again, you have a good amount of experience with this, but I know you just formed your LLC, which was a really exciting moment for you. Um, I'm wondering if there are things you wish you had done differently now that you're kind of going through this process and thinking about this, or is this something where you're like, I got here because I went through the things I went through, you know, like this has all happened in its own good time. You know, tell us about lessons maybe you wish you'd learned a little bit earlier? I wish I had done this a long time ago. <laughs> I'll say that. So my dream is to one day, and Katie's heard me say this before, have um, a consulting business that allows me to create opportunities for other people, right? And so I think if I had done an independent LLC 15 years ago, I would now have a pretty robust consulting platform to help, I think of recent PhDs. I know amazing recent PhDs around the world who are brilliant and have amazing skill sets, and I would love to hook them up with opportunities. So that's, you know, instead of just kind of sending emails to people, really have that platform. And I think I would probably be there right now if I had uh, started the LLC earlier. So that that's, I mean, and you know, I, I'll probably do that one day. I'm probably on that trajectory, but um, I'd be there now, I think, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most challenging part of working in your business right now? Ooh, um, what higher ed is going through. I mean, I think that the sector, like many sectors, like journalism, uh, independent media, uh, bookstore, I mean, so much, everything's changing so rapidly. And closing a small college in New England was really painful. And, you know, I like to say lessons learned, I can help others who are gonna be going through this. Uh, so many are going through this. And, but it is, 
it's it's a really challenging time. The devaluing or undervaluing of education and society makes the work we're doing so much more difficult than it needs to be. We all know that you know the hard data tell us that higher ed changes lives, right? Improves your longevity, improves your health outcomes, improves everything. And we're fighting this misinformation that education is bad and that higher ed is a scam. And so I think that is actually the most challenging part that I'm helping institutions try to save themselves and we're working against, society's working against us, so. I'm wondering if you, you can talk a little more about that and how, how you think that context of, um, as you said, this sort of misinformation and, and the, the challenges, <clears throat> the challenges that higher ed is going through right now, um, how is that informing how you're building your business? You know, are you thinking about what are the unique pieces that I can offer? As you said, having gone through this a little bit, um, you know, are there, are there ways that you're thinking about that as uh, informing the types of services you're offering or the types of focus in the consulting that you're going to be doing or? Somewhat. I, I think I've always, uh, almost always been hired to um, increase revenue, like I said earlier, you know, kind of that. So that's usually why I'm sought out. Um, I do think that there are many consulting firms out there that focus on higher ed and healthcare now. Uh, and they're outside of our business. So I feel like being inside higher ed at the same time, I'm trying to help folks. Um, I always say, you know, we all go to these consulting firms, they come, they do this deep dive, they leave this really big fat report for us. And then it sits on a shelf and we never know how to implement it. I feel like what I offer is I can help you figure out how to implement it. I've worked with faculty. If I can figure out your culture, I'm trained as a sociologist, anthropologist. It's, you know, kind of, it's a come in, figure out the culture and what works in your institution and every institution's different. So what are successful projects that have really been implemented well in your institution? And then how do we figure out how to take this big fat book on the shelf and actually make that work on the ground? So that's the difference really for me. That sounds incredibly valuable. I hope there are higher ed folks listening right now who are like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I need that. Because <laughs> we've all had the experience of the death by the 50 page report and it's And awful. it's brilliant, but when we can't figure out how to make it work at our institution, right? <laughs> how do I do it? <laughs> I think one of the interesting things about your background, Mary, and we've, we've talked with a couple other people who are working full time, they are doing the side hustle. Um, people know that is my current situation as well. When you went to Wheelock, I, you weren't necessarily thinking about, oh, there's going to be a merger and, oh, this thing is going to happen and I'm going to go through this experience. And you also just mentioned, you know, your work with faculty has been really valuable to helping you kind of know how to work with these institutions. I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the benefits of the full-time work you do for what you're learning that you can incorporate into your business. And like the Wheelock situation, maybe not things that you foresaw, but you can now leverage, I know you're currently working on a book about mergers and kind of thinking about this from a more strategic perspective. How have you been able to leverage kind of some of the things from your full-time work into your business? I think that I always, I mean, it's, it's the same, right? It's the same work for me. Um, I'm always strategic at work. And the last few positions, I've had several positions where I've created my own job description and my own title because the work I'm doing doesn't fit in any current position. And so um, at 
Salem State, I was, they created an associate provost of partnership and innovation. And it was created for me to do external partnership work and be innovative with new business development, but also revisioning current business portfolio. Um, so it's one and the same. And I think each time I do something new in a full-time position, it informs how I approach strategy in a consulting world. So they're not different. It's the same work. It's higher ed administration, which I will now be teaching in higher ed administration. And as you pointed out, I'm writing a book about the merger. So uh, Katie and I have talked over and over again about how the content is the same. It's the delivery mechanism that changes, right? It's your area of expertise, but you've got, depending on how it's getting out into the world, it's reaching a different population, a different market, a different uh, reader. And so these are all different pathways to reach all those different people. So that's how I view it. One of the questions that we love to ask people is um, around this idea of outsourcing and like, what is one thing you absolutely hate doing in your business that you would gladly outsource tomorrow if you had the money to do so? <laughs> is it invoicing? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The, the books, right? The finances, the, the invoicing, what feels like has nothing to do with being strategic in higher ed. The, um, not the content of branding, but the branding process uh, and also website development and maintenance, right? It's kind of what's really not, there's a great term in healthcare that I love. And, and when I worked at Salem State, my president was a nurse. So that was her academic background, so we did a lot in healthcare. But it's called working at the top of your practice. So what can only a doctor do? What can only a nurse practitioner do, right? And so what can only Mary Churchill do? It is not website development and building. <laughs> so that is kind of, you know, the heart of the consulting piece is really something that only I can do. But the other things always, you know, that the further they are from the centerpiece of that, the, the less I'm feeling like I'm using my time wisely. Oh, you're speaking my language. There are so many pieces that I'm just like, really? Could I just not have to spend my time thinking about this? And yet. <laughs> exactly. Oh. So Mary, I'm really curious, you know, given that you're kind of trying to work at the top of your practice, what is something that you are working on right now that you feel is within your wheelhouse that you're really trying to figure out and try to up your game when it comes to that particular thing? In my side hustle or in my job? In your side hustle. Hmm. Nothing really. I mean, I think this is the chat. I mean, right now I'm building the foundation for something. Um, so this is kind of a, maybe not, not for the record, right? Like, so this is, it's really about building that foundation. I do think that I could say, um, I'm thinking more, I'm being more thoughtful about the way I approach blogging at Inside Higher Ed and the construction of these three podcasts that I'm working on. Uh, how does that align with what I'll be teaching in higher ed administration? and the work I'm currently doing as we build this new college and potential future work in, in strategy and consulting. I feel like in some ways, Mary, you went backward. You developed all this you know, experience, confidence, skills in your actual consulting, 
And now you're like, oh, I have to build up all the business systems around it. I mean, you've had quite a bit of success and now you're like, well, I should professionalize this. And I actually think a lot of people in higher ed find themselves in this situation where they get asked to do things kind of informally. And so they do them for a while. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I've been keynoting for years. Maybe I should like think about this as a craft and like, and actually like put some, as you say, foundations around it. Is that something that you're kind of aware of or are, are we just hearing that because we're like coming in from the outside? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely aware of it. And I don't feel the need to increase my side hustle right now. So I, my job and my full-time job is very demanding. So it's really, it's a slow side hustle <laughs> and I'm just taking the time to build that infrastructure and thinking that if I want to increase it in the future, I'll be able to, it'll be all set and all ready to go. And so really when my consulting business has been at its highest um, level is been when I'm working part-time or um, I don't have a full-time job. So I've taken time off and then I'm consulting on a 50 to 75% of my time. But it's really, when I'm in a full-time administrative position, I really pull way back because I try to be very picky and it always comes to me. I don't seek it out. So that's kind of where I am right now. What are some of the lessons you think you've learned that might be helpful for our listeners who are kind of thinking about maybe starting something or growing what they have? You know, they're in the early stages of getting started with their business. Anything that you would suggest or advice you would give? I think I've said some of it earlier, but I'll, I'll recap. <laughs> so one, it's okay to go slow, right? And, and so kind of taking it as it comes and taking it as you feel comfortable. So not feeling like you have to go full force right away. So take, doing that slow side hustle. I would also say that um, being open, so kind of what I mentioned early on is being open to opportunities. And I guess that saying yes, even if you're passing that yes off to someone else, but but really keeping those op that opportunity flow open and building those relationships and keeping them open. Um, and that, to me, that lines up with, there are going to be unexpected turns or unexpected opportunities that come along. And before you out of hand say no, think about how it's really important to, to think about the what that you're doing and not close opportunities to the who or the how, right? Because your content area and what you do is really usually your biggest skill set. And so don't think, well, I've never consulted to a school district. They're not my client. But if they're asking for your skill set, they are your client. So I think that being flexible in the who's coming towards you, how they want that, um, but really sticking with your what. This is what I do. This is what I know. This is where my expertise lies. So. I think that's great advice. I, I resonate a lot with that. I'm sitting over here nodding a lot like, yeah, yeah, do those things. <laughs> those are great. Um, Mary, I'm curious, uh, what's on the horizon for like the next six months to a year for your for your side hustle? Are you, you know, you said you're kind of slowly building things in the background. Is it mostly building the systems and the foundations? Are there kind of some opportunities that you're excited to kind of dive into um, over the next six months to a year? 
I feel like right now I'm building content on my different platforms. So I started the, I, I hired a lawyer. I have the LLC. I just started my small business account and I have my credit card. I just bought a year subscription to FreshBooks to do that accounting. <laughs> I have to hire the accountant now. I just signed up for a year of Simplecast and I'm probably about to do the same thing with Descript to launch three podcasts. And really, for me, that's a lot of content development. I'm finishing up the book on uh, mergers and closures, the, the Wheelock merger closure with Johns Hopkins. And we're hoping to have that manuscript hopefully to the editor this month or next month. That's almost done. And that'll be coming out next year. And so a lot of content, a lot of the what, really building that up. Um, and so that's exciting and really provides a lot of material for them to kind of accelerate when I'm ready to accelerate. I suspect many of our listeners might be interested in, in your three podcasts. So you, you want to tell us a little bit about them and <laughs> what they're going to cover? Sure. So one just launched last week, uh, Experience Ed, and it is about experiential education. And that is with um, my former Dean of Arts and Sciences from Northeastern, Jim Stoller. He was also the provost at SUNY Albany and interim president at SUNY Albany. He's in does neuroscience, so he's really interested in how co-op affects the brain. Uh, I'm a sociologist. I'm interested in how co-op makes us a better human being. <laughs> and we're doing that with a ed practitioner, Adrian Dooley, and she is interested in children and in the K-12 system and how we you know socialize them beyond uh, teaching them for a test so it's a really interesting take on how experiential ed can make you a better human and an better employee um, so teaching learning and, and leadership in experiential ed the other one is a very very radical one it's called rocking the academy it is with um Rupika Rizm, who is uh, just got tenure at salem state and she is someone I met on Twitter before she and I both were at Salem State, and she is just an amazingly radical woman in higher ed. And so that is about people who we think have rocked the boat in the academy to really help push it to the next level. We just did an interview with Lee Scaler at Bissett, who is a pretty radical higher ed person, and asked her, like, what do you think's happened? You know, again, this problem of What's going on in higher ed right now? How do we get ahead of it? What are some solutions? And really asking some radical people to help us think that through. And then third is an extension of my blog at Inside Higher Ed. So University of Venus, we've been there almost 10 years. Early on, we, we, we won an Education Writers Association Award for community blogging. And um, our editors there are just amazing, amazing supporters of women contingent faculty, underrepresented folks in the academy, just they've been fantastic. And so that is more like a chat style, the view in higher ed, just getting us together to talk about things like health insurance and work-life balance, but also what do you wear to work that's professional, but still stylish and shows your personality. So just, it's a, it's a fun tips and techniques, happy hour kind of thing, so. Those other two are launching later this month. So one launch okay. later this month. So I love the variety. That's just delightful. 
Thank yes, you. we will link to all of these in the show notes for people to take a look if they want to follow up. Um, one of the things I love about you, Mary, is you're just like cool as a cucumber all the time. You're like, yeah, I'm writing a book. I'm doing three podcasts. I'm, you know, there's all these things. I'm working out of my business. I'm wondering, you know, people are listening to this and they're like, how are you doing this? How are <laughs> how is this feeling like not completely overwhelming to you? You know, can you talk about that, you know, like how you're deciding to kind of take on these new projects in ways that feels balanced or feels like it's the right kind of alignment with what you're working on. And, and even the logistics of like, how are you squeezing it in? Because as you said, you do have a very demanding administrative position. So what does this look like for you to add these new projects into your life? Well, I think the balance is really important. And I, I have started a daily yoga practice and uh, meditation, and that's been going strong for a year. And I also um, do morning journaling very early at 750words.com. And so I'm on a 377-day streak of daily journaling. So I think that helps keep me grounded. And then saying yes to the work or creating new ideas all those projects are collaborative. The book is co-authored. All three podcasts have co-hosts. So it's not something I'm doing alone. It's something I'm doing in a group. And in my earlier this year values work, collaborative is one of my top five values. So, <laughs> and it's true. And I think I, as I thought that through, I realized I'm happiest when I'm doing collaborative work too. Um, and yeah, so, so that helps, right? I can take it on because I'm not doing it alone. I'm doing it in, as a, with a colleague or two, and I know that they can pick up slack if I have a rough week, you know, if I need help. So, and, and my family. So I, I have a support network, so. Okay, so I know people want us to say, talk to us about this yoga, meditation, journaling, practice situation that you have going on. I think it sounds amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to start that and maybe how it's connected to your business and kind of your productivity? So when I was, okay, so the year of the merger, as you can imagine, was a hellacious year, right? Um, it was awful. And so I am a problem solver. And so folks would come into my office and I couldn't solve the problem that we were closing, right? So I had to just learn to sit with really emotional reactions from rage and despair and then mourning. And, and this was day after day. So we announced on August 29th that we were probably going to merge with Boston University. By January, um, I had the shingles. Right. And I went to the doctor and I thought I just had a rash. And she's like, you have the shingles. And I'm like, what? She's like, do you have any stress in your life? I'm like, ah, do I have stress in my life? Right. So yeah. And I said, you've heard about this merger closure. Said, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the people involved in that. So yeah. So that was a, a point of, wow, this is crazy. I had started journaling episodically throughout that because it was so emotional that I'm like, I have to dump this somewhere, right? And I couldn't be the person crying and raging in someone's office. I had to be the one that was strong for other people doing that. So, um, so the journaling started out of that. And then uh, the yoga was, it's interesting. I started going to yoga classes at local studio, really loving it. Um, I had fallen on ice a couple years ago and it was a 
challenge to my body to recover. So I had one had been wanting to get back into yoga to be stronger and more flexible. And so once I had the time, um, I was no longer commuting to Salem State. I was here in the city. I you know gained an extra three to four hours per day work day in my life. Um, I filled that with journaling, yoga, and meditation. I prioritized that. And it's really helped. It's helped with sleep. It's helped with stress. It's, it's helped with everything. But I, had, I regained those hours by cutting my commute. I love that. I love this idea of taking the opportunity of found time and intentionally choosing to fill it with things that are going to improve your wellness. That's awesome. Thank you. I wish I had time to walk. You walk. I, I, I can't. I try to walk walk around like I walk to my (laughs) meetings and stuff but like I yeah something this is why we're connected on Fitbit Mary so that we can be holding each other accountable (laughs) anything else Mary that you want to share with us about your business journey or kind of where you are right now where you're headed Uh, not really I think the advice to folks about keeping your um, options open. I think that's really important. Someone once said to me, you know, he was my, had been my grad, um, grad director when I was in a PhD program. And at this time he was in the provost's office and I was weighing opportunities about my next job. And he said, keep your options open. Right. You know, I said, should I pursue a faculty position or should I pursue an administrative position? And he said, don't ever define yourself as just one or the other. Always define yourself as both. And don't don't assume that you're not going to be a faculty member one day or that you're always going to be an administrator. Don't make that assumption. So I think keeping that open and again, thinking about it's the what I do. It's not the way or the how, you know, it's, it's, if you have a skill set, a core skill set, and you can do that in a lot of ways, and you can do that in a corporate setting. You know, I think um, some of the clients I've taken on have been media clients like Harvard Business Publishing and the Boston Magazine. Um, not that I would ever think those are clients that someone who does higher ed administration would seek out, but um, when they came to me, I thought, well, this is an interesting opportunity. I'll give this a try. And I think that that has really proved to be a major key to my success. I feel like what you're describing, Mary, is such a balance between what we're always told, which is to niche. And then the people who are like, but I don't want to niche. I want to do all the things. And I feel like you have this really nice pathway down the middle of that, which is basically know really clearly what you do, but be open to doing it in you know, for a range of audiences or in maybe a slightly different range of ways than maybe what you had intended initially. And that I think is really helpful for our audience to hear because Sarah and I, are, <laughs> we struggle with the niching what? sometimes. No, <laughs> We like to kind of be open to that too. And Sarah talks about going with the energy and, and I really agree with that. Like my business now is not where I, where I thought it would be, you know, two years ago. And you do have to follow those things and kind of see what comes out of it. So I really appreciate how you're describing that. And it doesn't mean you're not clear on who you are and what you do. Right. It just means you're remaining open. Right. And it's, it's really, I think it takes a lot of self-confidence though. And I think that's the challenge, right? You have to feel like you are an expert at a certain 
number of things and that you kind of can continue to build on that expertise right and rather than i have to know everything about everything it's no this is really my this is my wheelhouse and this is what i know well and i'm going to keep adding to that but this is really to go deeper but um i, I think it can be scary you know agreed good old imposter syndrome <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes that comes in and uh, I have it when I side swipes you. I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Mary, this has been delightful. Thank you for uh, sharing your time and expertise and wisdom in this uh, this journey that you've been been engaging with in your side hustle. I I have learned a lot from you, and uh, I bet our listeners have too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Mary. It has been such a pleasure to work with you over these last several months. And I will make sure to link to all the things we talked about today in the show notes and also to the Slow Hustle program if people are listening and they're interested in learning a little bit more about that. Um, but Mary, always a pleasure. Thanks wow. again. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Your Way. Show notes and a transcript for this episode can be found at drkatylinder.com backslash MYW. If you found this episode helpful, please consider rating or reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.